life is chaotic. You're going to have ups and downs. And I think people think that it's a continuum. You're ever going to get success with your goals. And that's not realistic. It's Life doesn't work like that. There's going to be a curveball thrown in the way. There's going to be hurdles put in that way where it's going to test you. And most people fall foul of that because they don't have that consistency and um, sustainability to be able to adapt and be flexible. They want to, you know, have the have the quick fix. I'll I'll t- term it as, you know, the hundred meter sprint. People want to do the consistency, put in the hard work, get the reward at the end of the day. But I don't want to put in the sacrifice and longevity of it. Of say somebody conquering a marathon life is a marathon it's not a sprint and i think people the sooner they realize that the better we will be as a society of probably getting out of this epidemic that is obesity because if we can get out of a mentality that is i want it now 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 and work at things and reap the rewards of your patience people are going to be better for it that's james roberts and i'm brian felchuk the do a day podcast Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do a Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Welcome to another episode of the Do a Day podcast. My guest today is James Roberts. James is a Paralympian from the UK. He is someone who has made sports or sport, depending how you want to say it, a part of his life throughout his life. And at the same time, he also is someone who was born with a disability. And yet he never let that stand in the way. We get into what that disability is, but essentially one of James's legs wasn't formed like the other, like most of our legs. And so that, you know, that could have stopped him. But Instead, he used it as something that just gave him pause, let him reflect, let him plot out his course to how to solve for the things that maybe you or I might deem mundane. And for him, he found a way to achieve. And he didn't just achieve, he achieved them in a pretty grand way. He's a Paralympian across multiple sports. Um, I'm going to try to name them all, but I'm sure I'm going to miss at least one of them. Um, So he has done volleyball, swimming, rowing, uh, gosh, what else? Rugby. Um, yeah, maybe I should just, I should just not keep trying because the list is really, oh, basketball. That's another one that I missed. Um, he currently is an online personal trainer. Uh, he offers an approach to having a better, better control of your weight. And, um, you know, it's, it's really powerful when you're sitting here thinking, I can't, and then you talk to someone like James, who has proven time and time again, it doesn't matter what basis you might have for the I can't in your life, you still can. So it's an approach, it's a mindset, it's, uh, it's really just about going for it and believing in yourself and recognizing that it can just take time. Um, really, really interesting mindset to everything. And he has a, a podcast that's on that same sort of... Uh, same sort of mentality around mindset, and it's called the Mindset Athlete that he hosts. Uh, so really interesting story, interesting guy. He's achieved so much, and um, 
just doesn't let things stop him, which is really cool. So I, I actually have taken a lot of inspiration from James following him online for a while. So it was really cool for me to get to connect with him. And I hope that you all enjoy this episode. So we'll jump in now with James Roberts. James Roberts, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, Brian, it's my pleasure. Yeah, this is uh, this is cool for me because I I've been watching you for a while. We're in some of the same Facebook groups, and just you know, taken by your story, by your frankly your attitude. There's a positivity and a strength to what you're putting out there, and um, you know, kind of shame on me for not reaching out directly. But then I saw we had someone in common. You're on my friend Drew's show, and. Um, I was like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta connect with James. So I appreciate you responding as quickly as you did and getting the time to come on the show as fast as you did. This great. That's my pleasure. Well, it's, I think that's you, you kind of can miss a step when it's having that network, those collaborative works, and obviously it's commendable for you, obviously reaching out anyway and doing it, even if you did it going around the houses, you did eventually do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we are part of some really. Some some good groups of folks who are absolutely trying to empower others to do better in their lives, and that's what your your story. Um, it's awesome, but it's got a, a bit of a different twist to it from what people might expect. And you know, just before recording, we were talking about that a bit. But before we jump into it, give us the the high level. Who are you? You know, what what do you do these days? Oh, in a nutshell, Brian, what I do these days is I look after fellow amputees, uh, strive to uh, get a weight loss gauge between 10 to 30 pounds without giving the food that they like. And obviously, people seeing that, hearing that, will probably be to a certain extent skeptical. Well, what's the catch? Um, This doesn't sit well with my gut reaction. But getting the opportunity to speak to them and say, well, there is no quick fix. There is no magic pill. You can do it the, I will term the unconventional way because be it the diets that they've tried in the past have become conventional. Mm. They don't work because they're short, they're short term, they're quick fixes. And I think what people don't realize is obviously going down that route is it's not sustainable because it's not you're not going to be consistent with that because you're only looking for uh, a momentary fix to get to a certain goal and then I'll go back to what I was normally doing prior to that and I think where people don't realize where they're going wrong with that is obviously if you change something that is restrictive I won't call it unnormal but be it it's not something that you're going to do on a regular basis and it's not consisting of things of normality. Once you go back to doing what was the norm, yeah, you're going to put that weight on and some. So it's re-educating people to have that awareness that you can do it in the sense of the word from an unconventional standpoint, still enjoy, still enjoy the food that you like, be it a chocolate bar here and there and still lose the weight. Whereas I think uh, people have been misguided, misinformed that they have to do it in a conventional sense of going down the the realms of Weight Watchers, Slimming World, uh, Diet Pills, et cetera, to achieve their goals. And obviously, because you don't have the information and the knowledge at hand to say, well, obviously I have the luxury of being able to 
be on the periphery of that. I know that no, one diet from the next, there's no difference at the end of the day because they're restrictive. If you take away uh, using good mathematics, you take something away, you're going to lose something. So I think people are at the root cause of it. A little bit naive because if you had all that the facts and the information at hand, you would make more rational decisions. And I think because people are obviously on the back foot, become skeptical of the industry, mm. when they see my figures come out, well, what's the catch? Yeah. Kind of mentality. Yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of like that what has become conventional is products versus how to live. So you're talking about a sustainable way of living, not the next product to purchase that will work. Like you, you know, if you follow the rules, you will lose the weight in, you know, roughly the time that they prescribe. But then what? And that's not you're you're talking about a life. You're not talking about a short term product that you purchase and get a result from and move on. Well, you could say it another way as well, Brian, in terms of, and this is uh, somebody else's co content that I'd seen yesterday as we we're recording, but I can't remember the name offhand. He looked, he looked to put it in the realms of most things when you look at it, you know, the quick fixes, uh, be even services and products that are reasonably, you know, low end, very, very cheap is a commodity what you're trying to get people to realize is a vision. It's something that you're going to obviously, uh, first and foremost, make a lifestyle habit and change. And it's something that you can see within yourself to be able to do it long term. So obviously, that's going to cost more money. Yeah. But at the end of the day, people need to, um, to certainly get off the high horse and uh, look at the health and well being in the same light as they do uh, the latest iPhone, um, big house, nice car, uh, and having obviously luxurious holidays. If you 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 put your yourself in that sp same spotlight as you did with our core commodity, uh, not the commodities, but be luxuries and things we take for granted. It, as a, I must have it because it's the latest thing. Yeah. If you treated your body the same way, you wouldn't have problems spending that kind of money. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. All right. So what, how did you get to that point? What's the, and you, you mentioned amputees. So fill us in some more on, on your situation and how you got to what you're doing right now. I think it was, it, it was, I was probably reluctant to do it because in most cases it's based on a bias that I, that I'd had previously because you have this association with people that have a disability in most cases are going to be in an unfortunate state of having to overcome a traumatic experience or yeah. an accident uh, and obviously going to be out of work. So the, the income is potentially not there. So it's built on a bias that I had, but I kind of went, well, not everybody is going to be in that situation of be to a certain extent playing the victim and pointing the finger at everybody and, and, and everyone is to blame, there are going to be the, the, the outliers to that and the people are going to go, well, this is my new identity, this is my new reality. Let's take, it by, take the bull by the horns, as the saying goes, and let's run with it and we'll come out the other side and be, generally speaking, those would be the ones with the mental fortitude, mental toughness, and, and they're going to take and probably leverage 
things that they did as able-bodied people and then push forward. So I think coming back to your question at hand, Brian, in terms of why I wanted to work with that community, it's being able to leverage probably where I've come from with my sporting background and say when people say, I can't, I won't, you know, the, the stuff that we talked about before coming on air, that's built on obviously limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. be it, they've, they've grown to custom to uh, building that up through time, be unconscious biases that they've got yeah. or somebody's put them there. Whereas uh, I was speaking to somebody not too long ago uh, from a training perspective, they were kind of saying, well, I know my limiting uh, beliefs in terms of what I'm capable of doing in the gym. I, I, I said in no terms, no uncertain terms, you know that uh, because, okay, you may not want to push to the realms where, where I attained within sporting priors, which is fair enough. But to say that you are not capable of attaining that physically mm -hmm. is not true because obviously to a certain extent, it's not a physic physicality that's holding you back. It's a mentality because I have the sim a, a similar impairment as you and I was mentally be able, I was, uh, mentally be able to push through that ceiling that you say is a limiting factor. It's like, you say I can only go so far, I would disagree. It's like, at the end of the day, what is capable and what, what is not capable, I think the people with the similar impairments are a great, in a great position to be able to help others because it's like, you perceive that that's not possible, well, what stop, what, the only thing that's stopping you at the end of the day is your mental capacity to believe that you can't. Yeah. I was able to achieve it yeah. and push, push the boundaries. I think it does come down, it's, it's leveraging other people up at the end of the day. And I, I saw, well, you could say a gap in the market and I've taken it. So it's, it's, it's very much a, uh, a work in progress yeah. uh, and being able to help obviously the people that want to be helped yeah. and at the end of the day, I can't force somebody to want to change. It's got to rest with them. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, when you want to change, you know where I am. Yeah. Yeah. So James, going back to your own story. So walk us through you, you were born with a disability. Yeah. Like yeah, take us, correct. take us through your story. And because what's interesting is, you know, you're talking about these things in the past couple of minutes from firsthand experience, because you, um, you didn't, you really didn't let it hold you back. And it, it almost sounded like it was irrelevant in some respects. And I'm sure it wasn't, but it's like, it almost didn't, cr it, it's just like you put it, it's not a physicality, physicality or a physical limitation holding you back It's a mentality. And you just, it seems like from the start, you just made this decision, this will within to not let it hold you back because sports always been a part of your life. And, mm -hmm. and you went on to achieve actually some pretty amazing things, disability or not. Um, so give us the, the background. What is the disability and, and how did sport play a role throughout your life? Ultimately, you know, taking you to, uh, to the Paralympic games. And I was in London at the, when you were, um, you know, on the, on the London team for the Paralympic Paralympics, a really exciting time for the city, obviously, and for the country. So great honor to represent your country, um, when the games are at home. Well, I think if we start right back at the beginning, Brian, 
I think it stems from, be it, I think my family core values and, and moral beliefs, I think are very old school. Uh, it's probably comes back from, you know, like the older generation, you, you were seen and not heard, but I think it has presented itself in a positive way in terms of how it's passed through the generations of it's kind of a single swim mentality. We're not going to wrap you up in cotton wool. Mm. You need to, to a certain extent, fend for yourself a bit like wolves, a pack of wolves would do. Uh, and I think, okay, some people will see that as negative because it's quite aggressive, but I never saw it as that because, well, you could look at it in the premise of, well, you either, you either swim or you, or, or you drown. So it's, it's kind of the, one of those things. So I always looked at things, well, I'm, I've got this problem at the forefront. How do I come up with a solution? Mm. And I think the, the analogy I'll use is back in elementary school of being on the playground and being on the periphery. And my mom was always, always said to me, uh, you could see the cogs moving in inside my head. Yeah. Obviously figure, figuratively, yeah, yeah. rather than literally. But I w- was obviously trying to calculate very math- methodically and mathematically, well, how do I come up with this adaptation that obviously everybody else is taking for granted, being able to do something that is even to the, well, even what I would call today a mundane task because I don't have to, I, there's no benefit or actual uh prestige about me getting doing it now that i'm in my 30s yeah but obviously if i hadn't come up with a solution back then when i was i'll we'll call it pre-teens but b i don't know how old exactly i would have been yeah, yeah. say from the ages maybe like six seven eight years old i don't come up with a solution to that i'm going to be very much in isolation because of the disability and that's very much uh where other people can find themselves when they become amputated or have a disability, they can become very much a victim because they don't have the get up and go to be able to, I'll call it thinking outside the box. It's become probably even easier than we're talking about me uh, using my past experiences of 25 years ago because you've got a smartphone in your pocket, you just Google something and you will come up with multiple searches. Whereas back in those days, you had to probably use your initiative and, and think very much outside of the boxes. Um, well, the internet wasn't in infancy, but not a lot of people had access to the internet without being going to library, school or things like that. So yeah, I think it's built on the premise of, uh, from a generation perspective within my family, is always trying to not let each other down we're going to try and use every avenue possible to find a resolution to to these problems so be it with with me with the monkey bars within a couple of days i was playing with my peers for somebody else being that similar position may not have been as strong-willed or uh, uh, to a certain extent had mental toughness of fortitude to come up with a solution yeah they're now to a certain extent an outcast so something that's that's been on my mind since hearing you in some other interviews is, well, one, maybe you can talk about the disability specifically so people know the context. And then do you remember a time where you became aware of it? Like, did it ever really cross your mind that, you know, you were, I, I hear you 
you know, sort of going through the the process of trying to devise how you would do a task. So I imagine there's an awareness, but did you ever think to yourself, I'm different or I can't? I can't do something. Uh, probably as a teenager, but uh, that's that, that to a certain extent is an identity crisis everybody's going to face. Uh, and I thought to myself, and I still the, it still perplexes me uh, why I had that difficulty uh, coming. I would, I would call it to a certain extent coming to terms with it and, and accepting myself mm. uh, rather than the disability itself, because I had no problem, be it having it on show in a capacity of a sporting sense, in PE, physical education. Mm-hmm. But I was very much at that time, uh, because of my parents in the in it being in the forces, I went to an American school in high school. So be it, okay, I have a British accent, but they would wear a school uniform. So I, I could wear clothes that I wanted to, but I found myself being ever present, wanting to mask it away, hide it away. Uh, and I think, it does come to, and I think on reflection now, thinking about it, it's come to come to light. Well, it's probably I'm trying to live up to somebody else's expectation of myself because it's like, well, I'm trying to, at the end of the day, people please. It's like yeah. I'm trying to gain your, you could say, in terms of respect, because I'm going to think, well, you might think differently of me uh, because I have this disability, whereas I was comfortable. Uh, when I was in the sporting arena to have no care in the world. So it was like I was two different people. So once I came to terms with it and challenged probably those beliefs Mm. and thought to myself, well, who is this affecting, me or somebody else? Uh, Obviously, I'm I'm kind of having an inner dialogue with myself. It's affecting me. Do I have a problem with that? Yes. What are you going to do with it? You're going to change that behavior. And and it's something that has been ever present ever since. Obviously, you're going to always have your your haters, your naysayers that say you can and can't do this or that, the other, because at the end of the day, it's probably built on jealousy, enviousness, and downright um, selflessness to to, to want to see you fail because most people get a kick out of when the people they see people make a mistake or fail, yeah, so so rooted in their own self uh, insecurities, really. So they're they're looking for someone else to fall so they can feel less bad about themselves. Usually, exactly. Yeah. So so I know you have you've had one leg amputated. Yeah. Well, not technically. I, I, I call it an amputation because it's, I think, because it's become more and more prevalent in, in the media, people know exactly what you're talking about. But, but obviously, come, come alluding to the question that you asked me early deals of the episode. Yeah. The medical term for my disability is femoral dysplasia. So I'm going to try and explain it as best I can for your listeners to be able to visualize this. Yeah. I don't have my femur bones. I don't have the uh, thigh bone. Uh, I've got a small tibia and fibula, which would be in the well, lower calf leg. proportion of yeah. your leg, so the lower portion of your leg. Uh, so I've, in essence, I've got a foot, which an amputee wouldn't have. Uh, uh, so mine's the bottom proportion of the leg attached to the hip. So it's a bit of a, you could say, um, oh, what's the term I want to use? I can't think of it. 
This this is on on one leg, yeah. Yes, on the one leg. So it's a bit of um. That's oh, going to bother me. That is um not a body disformation, but uh, oh, I'll call it a. It's it's not necessarily a birth defect, but 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 similar to to that because obviously it's I've come out differently to somebody that's going to have all their limbs. Yeah. What you quote unquote say as normal, but what is classed as normal? Is yeah, yeah. A, 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 a um. It's a loaded term because together. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so one of your legs. Now I feel bad saying the term normal, but one of your legs is as as it was expected to be, and the other has the. You, you don't have an issue in both legs, is that right? No, no, yeah, no, just just the one. Um, so we you're you're the second person on the show who's used a prosthetic early on i had a tap dancer who had a leg amputated um after a battle with bone cancer um who continues to tap dance to this day which is pretty amazing um but i there's something about you know for him it was a transition because he had both of his legs working as you know as he expected them to throughout most of his life and then when he was in university uh, went through the loss of his leg, which changed his aspirations of going to Broadway and all that, or at least it did briefly until he got back on course for you. You were born this way. And and that's what is so interesting for me. These moments where people feel less than or held back or different themselves versus what you were saying before is the onlookers who may judge them that way. And so then it's our choice whether we bring that in, isn't it? And and that's, I love your sport career because it was almost like if you didn't stop and tell in the story that you had a disability of some kind, I don't think people would ever pick it up because of how active you were, how much you achieved. I mean, if, if people Google you, the number of sports that you competed in at the, in the Paralympics, it's almost like it's hard to classify you because you've been in so many different so many different sports like rugby, basketball, volleyball, rowing. What am I missing? There's, there's quite a few, isn't well, there? Well, the list is the list is endless. The list is endless, really, yeah. Brian. It was in terms uh, when I'd come back home to to North Wales a couple of years ago. Um, uh, a local councillor asked me uh, to be able to plot down and write down all the accolades and achievements that I'd achieved over. A, a 10-year career and it was i think it was a two-page document in the end wow. and i was very surprised i'm thinking yeah. okay you have you have quite achieved uh, a formidable yeah uh, in a short space of time and i think because of the nature of the beast that is sport mm. we we and i'm going to generalize and say most athletes will think this way as well is that the processes are given and maybe with the general populace they're less inclined to, and this is probably where things go wrong at times, they don't believe in the process. An athlete takes it for granted and does it, does it no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. It's part of the, it's part of the course of me getting from A to B. Yeah. So if I don't like it, oh well, it's a sacrifice I need to endure. Whereas I think maybe with the general populace, and this is probably where I would say I'm very much... I won't say an expert, but be it, I'm somebody who's able to leverage it very, very well. Yeah. You have to endure some of that sacrifice. And I think um, you talk about whereas the, the 
unrelatability people have towards me if you just looked at the sport. That's very much true. I think it wasn't until until probably in the last 12 to 18 months, I think 12 it would be probably more an exact figure, when I was struggling with mental health issues, people were able to relate to me because I had this empathy towards other people as I know what struggle actually looks like. It, it This uh, adversity is something I've not encountered before because like we were talking at, at the at the very beginning, I know no different when it comes to my disability. It was, well, I either get off the ground and get go, get going again or I'm still stuck there. Where, where, where's the mental health? was to it wasn't an ongoing battle but it didn't it didn't come to a head until i accepted it and actually started to embrace it and obviously from that got better whereas with the disability that was never the case it was you're in a similar uh position a bubble i'll coin it as of being with like-minded individuals i never saw stuff as negative yeah. Whereas when I'm coming to a head with something that people will probably find it hard to believe that be somebody that's very um, strong-willed with their, their their mental capacity would struggle with that. But I think you're seeing it more and more with people within the, the sporting industry, uh, the entertainment one. Yeah. When you're trying to put on a, I'll call it a facade, a mask, uh, not tr- showing your true self, to compete, you're struggling because you're showing multiple different identities to different people, to be it your friends and family, I call them colleagues, but teammates, and then to the outside world and, and kind of only showing glimpses of certain things to certain people. And you're on, I think with that, in, in that retrospect, you're on a hiding to nothing because you don't know where you stand with each population and different uh, and those different characters whereas now i'm the exact same person within a degree i'm getting better at this as 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 time goes on of being the same person with everybody so if you don't like me yeah i'm not gonna lose sleep over it but if you see the connection uh, uh and get the value from what i'm saying yeah i'm not a different person you, you're seeing the exact, exact same james that would be uh be it like friends and family known for well family is obviously known for like over 30 years most friends i've had since beginnings of 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 kindergarten and things like that so they've known me for 30 years if you happen to meet me tomorrow i'd be the same person with you i think that's really that's really well said i i do want to come back to the mental the mental side of it though so what what precipitated that? What tell us the story in there? I always blamed it as the ever-present uh, elephant in the room, be it the because I was working in education. I give some context to. It. I was yeah. working in education this time last year, and I always blamed it as well. I'm getting struggling with my mental health because of the stresses of the jobs, taking other people's problems home, and yeah. obviously that manifesting and kind of getting out to control. But I think as I talk about it more and more, it's stemming back years and years. It's like a build up of 
animosity and things like that it's, uh, and everybody will do it it's I, I don't want to deal with this in the here and now let me sweep it under the carpet and i'll come to uh deal with it later yeah and i did that even in sport it's like oh i'll deal with that when i retire and if i'd have probably dealt with it at the time of the situation or the problem arising mm-hmm. the magnitude of it wouldn't, wouldn't have been as as impactful as it was well, coming up last year. So I think it was the final not, nail in the coffin was, was working with an education. It kind of, it was the last thing to push me over the edge. Mm. But on reflection, I think it was years and years of uh, things I didn't want to either have to deal with or, or face up to. I won't say man up because that's not probably the right uh, terminology to, to use this day, in this day and age in terms of I probably should have faced it. Mm-hmm. spoken about it to other people i always look to internalize some of those things so be it dealing with uh bereavement i think this is about nearly 20 years ago that my grandmother died but i always look to be you know that manly figure within the family i must put on a brave face and yeah. be strong for everybody else and then go back to normality of going back to school as a 15 year old. It's like, so I would, I didn't tell teachers. Um, I didn't tell my friends. I didn't tell anybody. They just knew I was out of school for, I think about two, two weeks in, in total. Uh, and, and I think that's where you could say the bravado or the machismo that men have is like, well, I must deal with these things on my own. Yeah. And very much, when the mental health issue did finally, I'll say consume it, and I'll use that lightly in terms of that. I wasn't afraid to go out and say, well, I've got a problem. There's no, there's, there's no stigma in how I see it. There's no problem. I've got no problem to seek help because I don't feel, I'll coin this thing again, normal or feel like the person I once was. Uh, so I reached out to doctors and, and tried to get the support that I, that I needed to be, not go deeper into that, that dark tunnel that was in. It's like, well, if I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, it's a long way away, but I'd rather go towards the light than towards the darkness. And if I had probably had an ounce of probably that conviction that I do did last year, as a teenager, yeah, I probably would have been in a better place 20 years later in terms of not having to probably endure uh, as much with that because it was an ever, ever, ever battle because I bumped into one of my work colleagues last week and he kind of said, oh, you look a lot happier. You look more energized. That's not interesting. And I, I, so I asked him to put that into context. Did that? Did I? Because I messaged him later on uh, when I got home, and I kind of said, "Well, what do you mean by that comment? Did I look? Um, I didn't put it as depressed, but did I look not happy yeah. in in the in the realms of working with education?" He said, "Oh, it it takes some doing to be excited to go to work within a school uh, a school environment." every every day because obviously the nature of the beast um some people don't want to be there anyway as as students 
which yeah. is understandable, but that's a different topic altogether. But I think I'd agree with him in some sentiments. It's like, well, it wasn't something that I really wanted to do. It was, a, as I put it, um, a stopgap, which I was using towards the end of my uh, tenure there. And I, I, I said, I don't mean any offense by that to, if that's your career and your chosen path to go, for me, it's not really what I want to do. Yeah. And going back into the realms of working with personal training and working more specifically with, I'll call them like-minded people, but be within uh, the same catchment and population uh, of fellow amputees. The story to some degree that be it how people have acquired the disability is the same, mm. but not one conversation is the same. So it's, I've kind of got that get up and go every day. Well, what kind of conversation am I going to have today? Because how somebody's attained their impairment, yeah, it's different. Be it an accident, cancer, uh, be similar to me, be born with it, and how they've kind of come to deal with those situations and got to where they are to to this day. Not one is going to be the same, so that it's kind of unique in that sense. Where I think that's where it's different from working with the able-bodied community. Every single thing is a bit mundane. It's very repetitive. It's it, to me, it was very boring. Whereas I have this excitement within myself to be able to. How would I term this? Not uplift the whole community as a whole. Yeah. But you know, set a bar that. Um, I would say is, you know, the minimum stand, say minimum standard that you expect of other people in terms of, you could call them values and principles. You have a, not a high expectation of people, but you have a minimum standard where if somebody falls short of it, you're not going to judge them and say, well, you need to raise your standards and, and, and think better of yourself uh, and things like that and bring them up to your level and things like that. And I think it's something that, I utilized within my own show um, last week as we were recording because the pillars which the businesses are, are built upon is obviously categorically towards the amputee community. But I think everybody can get something from them because it's built on uh, the AMP principle. So it's adapt, master, and prove. And I think the three pillars anybody can instill into their life and, and come out the other side I don't like to use success so much but in terms of you know having a winning mentality because you you, you until you actually utilize some of those things you're always pointing the finger yeah yeah that's very true do you so I I was recently uh talking to a, another person who'd been through the Olympics and um they talked about the Olympics blue the Olympic blues so, you know, you, you train, you put so much into it, and then you come off of that. And with sport being such a big part of your life and competing at that level, do you think any of that played into it as you talk about the mundane side of things that maybe such a contrast? Do you think that might have contributed to that feeling as you were, you know, a, a year ago struggling with things? I wouldn't say that they were blue. I wouldn't say for me they were the blues, but be, be the, you, you raise a very poignant point in terms of that, of that Brian. I think because it's systematically, you know where you stand, you've got a routine. Um, and I'd lost that because 
You don't know uh, what's the saying going. I obviously had a purpose when I was an athlete. It was to go out and be, well, at the end of the day, I wanted to do it for me. But you're trying to get your next, next I'll call it tracksuit, but be your next uh, national call-up, things like that, be it Europeans, uh, World Championships, and obviously the, 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 the pinnacle of it, the Paralympics. So I obviously, that was my purpose in life. I wanted to kind of tick off those boxes as I went along. But once I'd come out of that environment, I kind of felt, I won't say lost, but it's, well, what do I do? What do I do now? I would, to a certain extent, I would probably blame myself as I didn't prepare mm. properly for the eventuality of, well, I wasn't pushed, but I, before I walked away, I had the education behind me. So I wasn't naive as to, well, I'm going to throw all my eggs into one basket, which yeah. most athletes do yeah. to be able to, be, to, to get to those levels. Uh, I was instilled some rational sense of uh, being as a 14, 15 year old when I started out that, that career and that journey to, well, you need to have a backup plan. Most people would say that's very, um, I'm not gonna say naive, but you, you're always gonna have a, a what if, if you, if you don't stick to your plan A, mm. but, for everybody, that's not going to work out. It's like if you you throw everything to plan A. Yes, some people are going to have success, but for the majority, they're not because it, be it through um, staying power, injuries, politics, you name it, that career is going to be cut short. Yeah. So what do you do now? You've ha you've had everything built upon the premise that you were going to be in that career for 10, 15, 20 years. You've not had the foresight to think of the what if. I come from a family that is very, uh, I won't even use the term realistic, but pessimistic at times. So me going, having a plan B, it's there. Yeah. If I need it, it will then thus become a plan A. But it's there in the background, um, and and if Plan A doesn't work, I've got another avenue to go down and to and to be successful with and put, kind of build from uh, the resources that I've attained as a sports person to be able to utilize in this new arena. So I think on the one hand, uh, you know, like motivational speakers, inspirational speakers, speakers will say. You have to endure the grind and things like that. You have to put all your eggs in one basket to, to, to succeed at that. But then for, for the majority of that, that's, they're going to be unsuccessful because you're setting them up to fail because at the end of the day, whose expectations are you living up to? Somebody else's or your own? Because mine, at the end of the day, I never lost sight of what I got into sports for. I was passionate about it up until probably the last few years of my career where, where it started to become difficult. Mm. It was very difficult to motivate myself. So I was probably losing sight of 
what every child, uh, girl or boy does when they start out on that journey. They first and foremost love the game. They are passionate about what they're doing. And that is then generally time when it's time to hang up the cleats yeah. uh, and, and look to retire. Because if you, ha- if you hate what you're doing at the end of the day, it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. And I, it, took me, it took me a couple of years to rediscover that enjoyment factor. It's not until probably in the last, I'm going to say, what we know, November as we're recording, say in the last 11 months, that I enjoy sport again, even even though it's a hobby now, yeah. And there's no uh, media spotlight. There's no spotlight shining on me, yeah. Like there was of what you talked about. Of if you Google me, there's going to be loads and lots of stuff. I do it for like I did at the very beginning of when I was starting out at 11 years old. I'm doing it for me. I I, I enjoy the sport. I actually enjoy training. And if you'd asked me that probably about five to 10 years ago, yeah, my answer would have been very different. It'd be, no, no, I enjoy the competition, but I hate training. But obviously I have to do it to be able to compete. So I always saw it as, like I was touching upon it in the beginning of the show, the athlete sees it as a process. I, it doesn't matter if I like it or I loathe it. I have to do it to be able to progress. Yeah. But if I had the mindset that I do now and I was actually enjoying it, it's going to be even easier to 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 put in that work to bust a gut and and to put my body into the ground into the ground. Okay, row, rowing I did to a certain extent have that kind of mentality, but I was outside predominantly a lot of the time yeah. whereas with swimming and volleyball they're inside sports, so it doesn't matter where you are in the world, what gym, what swimming pool. They all, look, at the end of the day, they're all they all look the same. So uh, that's probably where training at times became more difficult. Mm. It's it's really interesting, James. We just come full circle. So if we go back to the original conversation about diet and weight loss and weight management, your point was about sustainability. And what you're talking about now is, you know, there's ups and there's downs in more extreme situations where it's your career, it's your entire life. And then there's a question of what's sustainable and what isn't for the long term. And so finding that balance so that you keep that activity that, you know, that that history you have with sport, you keep it in your life, but you do it in a way that's sustainable and healthy for the long run. It's an interesting, you know, kind of bringing, bringing the conversation back together again, um, it's an interesting point because you've lived at the extreme of having it be your life versus now finding a more balanced path forward because it's not your full-time career anymore. Well, that's why the people got to remember at the, at the end of the day, uh, life is chaotic. You're going to have ups and downs, be it with training, nutrition, uh, and your mindset. And I think people think that it's a continuum. You're ever going to get success with your, your goals and that's not realistic it's it's life doesn't work like that yeah there's going to be a curveball thrown in the way uh it's going to be hurdles put in that way where it's gonna life's gonna test you and say are you really ready to um overcome these these lifestyle changes and most people fall foul of that because 
they don't have that consistency um, and um, sustainability to be able to adapt and be flexible because they want to, you know, have the have the momentary quick fix. I'll I'll t- term it as you know the hundred meter sprint or the sixty meter sixty meter indoors. People want to do the consistency, put in the hard work, get the reward at the end of the day. But I don't want to put in the sacrifice and longevity of it, of, say, somebody conquering a marathon. Mm. Life life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I think people, the sooner they realize that, the the better we will be as a society of probably getting out of this epidemic that is obesity because if we can get out of a mentality that is ever consuming of I want it now 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 and kind of go back probably a couple generations of you were willing to wait for things um, long term and obviously work at things and reap the rewards of your patience people are going to be better for it so I, w- I was going to close things up, but I've got, this just sparked another question. So I hope you, hope you don't mind going no, one, no, one right. further. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm reflecting on, you know, going back to the story of you alongside the playground and your mother saying, you know, she could see the cogs. You, you had to take time. You had to figure it out. You had to find a path forward. And so it almost forced you to slow down and be more methodical and careful and thoughtful about things. Do you think that's given you a, a, strength around not necessarily always seeking the quick fix or seeking the faster way out that is sort well, of like I, trained from birth to like oh, i'm i'm gonna figure out the right way to do this for the long haul why well, well speaking to psychologists i have benefit of being able to utilize through my show they say it's a bit of a superpower to be able to yeah. slow slow down um the realm i'm able to do it in sport as well so it's quite creepy to be able to <laughs> kind of you know very much be methodical in terms of like you're taking a picture like a snapshot yeah like a burst of pictures and then make the right decision accordingly so i i think very much so to 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 answer your question brian i think it does stem to it's it's probably built to a certain extent through learned behavior or through watching uh other family members and being probably hardwired to certain extent into the DNA of who I am uh, as a person. It's like, well, you need to be methodical. Things don't have to happen overnight. um, And they won't. You might be lucky uh, at the first opportunity of things happening like that. But like I said, life's chaotic. It's going to fight. It's going to, it's going to test you. It's a little bit like for using a, a video game analogy. You get to the next level, it becomes harder. And then obviously the, the higher you go up, the more difficult it becomes. And it's it's for you to ever be ever present to adapt, master, and obviously subsequently change to overcome those 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 um those eventualities and those ever changing uh, scenarios. And if you don't adapt, the game's not gonna get any easier. Yeah. Because that's what it's designed for. It's to be it's to beat you. It's for you to find a winning uh mentality 
to, to, to kind of find you're not looking for a shortcut. You're looking for a resolution and a solution to overcome this without resorting to cheat codes uh, and and cheap methods that are only going to serve you short term. Mm. At the end of the day, if you do that, you're not technically beating it. You're cheating it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really well said. That, I think, is a good place to wrap things up. James, where can people find more about you and your work? And and obviously, you know, you have services to help people as they struggle with the things we're talking about, specifically around their weight management. Um, but you have so much inspiration that like, I've certainly taken from your post. Where can people find more about you? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at the handle at James O. Roberts 11. Uh, you can also find me uh, from a business perspective on LinkedIn using the same handle. Uh, and then also I've got my own podcast named The Mindset Athlete, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Excellent. And obviously I will link to all of those things in the show notes. So if people missed all that, just hit the show notes and you can get a link to everything. You should follow James because he puts out on a regular basis, some really inspiring stuff. Uh, thank you so much for giving me your time today. It means, uh, it means a lot to me and I certainly took something from it. It's really interesting. And, um, uh, so just, it's, it's a, it's a really cool and different, um, journey that you've been on that most of us don't get to experience. Not, not, you know, speaking to the disability per se, obviously that's different from what many people experience, but the amount of, sports that you've competed in at that national or international level the way that you've taken that in how you've grown from that and the lessons you've learned that you're sharing it's fantastic so thank you for all that oh, it's been my absolute pleasure brian are you ready to help me close things out yep yeah absolutely. today's a new day adapt master and prove brilliant thanks so much james oh, it's been my pleasure how did that one hit you james is is pretty amazing I do encourage you to go in and look at what he has accomplished, what he's done in his career, the number of photos of him competing in the Paralympics or in other sporting events where the sport's totally different. It's like, wait, what is it this guy does? He does it all. That's not technically true, but that's absolutely what I take away from it. And it's such a reminder for this lesson that he's telling us going right back to mindset that the limitations that we believe to be in place well, believe is the operative word there. That's up to us. That's how we're seeing it. Maybe that's not so accurate. So I'm very thankful to James for sharing about that and reminding us about putting in that work. Um, you know, I love that idea of the the cheat code. You didn't actually beat it, you cheat it. Um, from, from my uh, early days in the 80s, trying to get as many cheat codes for various Nintendo games as possible, I wasn't a very good gamer. So the cheat code was like, <laughs> that was my saving grace. And now I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I always had this feeling like I didn't really beat the game. So what was the point? Just to be finished? Well, if you just want to be finished, why were you doing it in the first place? Yeah, so you know, this is, it's this reflection that we all need to do. So why are we doing what we're doing? Is there a different path? Is there a better way to go about it? And I think James really pushes that front for all of us to consider. Really thankful for having him on. Definitely check out The Mindset Athlete. I will link to that and all of James' social media. You should follow him 
because he puts out a regular slew of inspiration uh, about disabilities, about more likely like limitations and how we think about them and overcome them. He puts out things about the mental health journey that he went through and coming through to the other side and erasing the stigma around it. I really applaud him for that. Um, and, you know, follow me while you're at it. Follow the show. If this resonated for you, if the other episodes you picked up on mean something, subscribe to James' show. Subscribe to the Do A Day podcast as well if you haven't already. Easy to do in whatever your favorite podcast software tool is. Um, and, you know, this time of year, Valentine's Day is kicking around. Think about relationships. How are we relating to people? James has us thinking about how we relate to ourselves, how we think about the expectations of others. It's a good time to dig into the 50-75-100 solution. If you haven't already, it's my second book, and it's all about how we relate to other people and how we can do better with that. So if you're picking up on James's talk about mindset, think about the mindset you use for all the relationships around you, not just the one with yourself, but how do you then extend out to your relationship with others? The 50-75-100 solution is available in every format. You could possibly want to consume a book along with Do-A-Day. It's the same thing. They're both ebook and print and Kindle and I guess Kindle's another ebook, Audible, like whatever way you want to get a book, they're both there. Um, but we do find a lot of people are thinking about relationships right now, this time of year, totally normal. They're also probably thinking like, I wish it was warmer, depending which hemisphere you're in. Pick up the book. Check it out. Think about how you are going into each of these interactions with other people. James talked about those expectations. Are you bringing those into the equation and then reacting or acting in relation to expectations versus what the person may actually be going after or may actually be thinking about? Do you even give them a chance to have those thoughts or have you prejudged them based on your expectation? It's a really interesting thing to consider. And I think James sparked that in this interview today. All right. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to James. Check him out. Subscribe to his podcast. Subscribe to this one. And recognize that today is a new day. You, my friends, can go out and do it. Thanks so much.